Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What they discovered upon their arrival was almost unspeakable. We are all involved in some form or another. I'm not guilty. <laughs> the dead won't bother you. It's the living you got to worry about. Some, if I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons. Hello. Hello. Welcome to the Bad Taste Prime Podcast. I am Janelle. I'm Vicky. How are we doing? Yeah, good. <laughs> so we have a little bit of a live show hangover. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so before we get too far, we really quick want to say thank you to Graveside Paranormal and mm-hmm. Parapalooza and Ghostly Pod. Yes. Um, we had a live show yesterday in as we record this yesterday yes. in Bridgeview, Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, super fun. There was a ton of vendors. Like they had a, a ghost tour going on. Yeah, it was so much stuff. Um weather ended up being perfect it may be a little windy but mm-hmm. like but we didn't have too much stuff <laughs> no i did break my picture frame but that's okay that's okay you know again it was like a cheapy five dollar yeah. poster frame it was breakable you know yes. what i mean <laughs> that's, that's why i buy cheapy things like mm-hmm. that um anyway so we just want to give a quick shout out i have a feeling this episode is going to come out before that yeah one. probably <laughs> so you guys will hear um if you haven't already you will hear the recording from Parapalooza. Mm-hmm. It was a good time. It was. Um, yeah. We couldn't get our PowerPoint to work, but that's okay. That's okay. I'm not salty about it. Janelle's <laughs> not better. <laughs> um, yeah. So we have got another great show for you this mm-hmm. week. If this is your first time listening, a special hello to you. Let's, uh, how you feel about heading over to the newsroom? I mean, sure. You don't have a choice. I know. Let's go. <laughs> Just please no more, no more bad news. Okay. <laughs> I can't handle it anymore, Vicky. This, you know what? How about some Florida news? That's always good. How about some Florida food crimes? I was going to say, food crimes and Florida <laughs> news usually are okay with me. Okay, so... This is from, let's see, somewhere in, oh, Madeira Beach. Here we go. As if we know anywhere in Florida that's not Orlando or Miami. So Madeira Beach, police got a 911 call from 37-year-old Joshua James Allen Larson. 
long already using name. the whole name, so I'm getting yeah. some bad vibes here. Okay. <laughs> okay. He called to report that his girlfriend uh-huh. wanted to eat Sour Patch Kids. Okay. That's, I mean, that's not that alarming. <laughs> so they they went to the house and um, asked why he needed law enforcement. And he just smiled at the police and walked away with no explanation. Okay. Um, they then decided to place him under arrest for misuse of 911, but he became noncompliant, wouldn't put his hand behind his back. They had to force him to the ground. Was he um, on meth or something? <laughs> that sounds dude, like a meth crime. <laughs> it's so he got taken to jail for calling 911 about the Sour Patch Kids mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and two charges of resisting an officer. He was released from jail on the condition of wearing a continuous alcohol monitor while awaiting court. Okay, so he was real fucked up. Yeah. Got it. That's what it that's what it seems mm-hmm. like. Those things freak me out. Sour like Patch a, Kids? No. <laughs> yes. Sour Patch Kids are alarming. No, the alcohol monitors. Oh. It's just like an ankle monitor, but it can detect in your just by touch that you're like drunk it doesn't like uh it's fucked up it's not like embedded in your skin or anything no how can it tell i don't know your sweat i don't know doctors i know we have <laughs> doctors that listen please let us know lawyers For, I, think, I feel like a lawyer would know i'm sure friends of the show alec and summer are listening yeah. to this and they are both doctory people okay doctory people doctors so let me My know sister Elena, no are you yeah, I'm kind of waiting for somebody to just call us on the phone. Right? And, you know, you know phone a friend. Phone a friend. Yeah, I don't know how that works. That's really I don't interesting. Either. Maybe it is in the sweat. In the like, dude, that's weird. I don't like that. I don't know. I, I it feels extremely invasive. I can understand the it ones does. where they hook up to your car and you have to blow into it. Obviously, that's pretty obvious. Yeah, but the ones that that are on your skin continuously, like, so what? You know know, what I mean? Like, if you're at home, if you're already at home and you're not going anywhere and you're just drinking, like, they're going to tell you you can't do that? That's fucking stupid. I'm sorry. That seems like like a rights infringement or something. Yeah, but if you're (laughs) calling 911 to be like, yo, my girlfriend wants to eat Sour Patch Kids. So fine him. Please get over here. 30 days in jail. That's fine. But, like, he's going to drink. Well, does Put him in a program? I don't know. It kind of makes me wonder if they had prior... Like prior incidences with this guy, but still putting an alcohol monitor on them just to so, so that they don't go over the limit ever. I don't know. I feel like that's invasive yeah. and kind of it a waste does of time and money. For sure. What do I know? Yes. <laughs> All right, we're gonna move on to Netflix and Kill, which this week is an HBO and Kill because oh, <laughs> I know again it is gonna take us so long to get through all of the content that they have released in the last like four months. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. We are talking about The Staircase. <laughs> of course we are. <laughs> it's taken me this long to get through it. And I'm I'm almost done. I'm not quite okay, done. I finished Because it. I watch it in chunks. But I know what happens. Well, yeah. Because <laughs> it's based off of a real thing. Based <laughs> off of a documentary. Yes. We are talking about the interpretive yes. staircase. Yes. Not, um, so, not the yeah. real documentary. So The Staircase is a series on HBO that is based off of a documentary that was made about Michael Peterson and the murder of Kathleen Peterson. Questions as to, did she fall? Was she murdered? Did was an it owl an owl? That is my favorite, <laughs> my favorite, favorite, favorite theory. I was trying to explain they this. They found feathers. I mean, hello. 
they were. I was trying to explain this theory to some uh, friends of mine, and they were like, "That sounds like you're just making this up." And I'm like, it "No, does. this is a thing. It this does sound thing. so far fetched." But um, owls will rip your fucking face off. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, they are a predator. I'll say this is a fictionalized, again, fictionalized series starring Colin Firth. No. Yeah. Who's the other Firth brother? Fair, fur, fair. Colin Firth. <laughs> I don't no, remember. No, it's Firth. Farrell is, is it, the other guy. Is it Colin Firth? Farrell's the the Irish guy, right? Uh, there, yeah. I mean, he is Irish with a Colin American Firth is accent. British. Um, what did I and say? And Tony Colletti, I know the woman. <laughs> Colin Firth. Yeah, she is super good in it. The guy that they have playing his attorney is like a dead ringer. Oh yeah, for and his he's, attorney in real and life. And he's always he was in like Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, it is and, Colin like, Firth. And just to um, confirm, who's also fantastic in this? Uh, the thing that was about the pills the oxycontin oh what is the name of the series it had a lot of famous people on it fuck my brain doesn't work today anyway it was about the oxycontin pharmaceutical scandal uh it was also on hbo he was in that too he played the head of the sackler family oh yeah he's super good (laughs) so it was really interesting to me Uh, okay so for people who don't know about this case Michael Peterson was accused of murdering his wife, Kathleen Peterson, after coming into their house after a night of drinking and finding her uh, barely alive on at the bottom of their staircase with like blood everywhere. He calls 911, says she's still breathing, calls 911 back, says she's not breathing. They get there. It's like a huge bloody mess mm-hmm. and then is charged with her death. OK, and then they get contacted by this French documentary filmmaking team. Um, who comes in and films essentially from the start of them developing their defense at trial mm-hmm. all the way through his various appeals and his eventual Alfred plea, mm-hmm. um, which happened in like 20, oh God, like 2017? Sure. 2017. Some, <laughs> sometime recently-ish. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. I actually really enjoy this because mm-hmm. of... It's, it's interesting to me to watch it as somebody who has already seen the documentary and knows about this case mm-hmm. and talking to some friends of mine who had no knowledge of this case, did not watch the documentary, do, like don't really know anything about this. They watched that. Mm, okay. They watched it because they like Colin Firth. Okay. Yeah. He, you know he, what I mean? He did his voice really well to the point where I was like, I'm disturbed. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and they the way that it was put together um, in sort of a alternating timeline like Mm -hmm. they have stuff from the past and stuff from then it'll be like a scene from him forming his defense and it'll shoot to the future after everything you know and kind of has this peppered throughout so you really don't know sort of like what the outcome is and it does kind of keep you like again for somebody who doesn't know anything about this case like did he do it i don't know Mm -hmm. maybe he did and they did a good job of kind of like showing all of the different outcomes that could have happened like mm-hmm. if it was the owl attack if he yeah. killed her oh my god if she slipped and fall okay yeah they, the fact that they they would be like okay so here's our theory of how she would have fallen down the stairs and then they show what is the actress's name tony coletti tony coletti she did an amazing job mm-hmm. um they have the scene of her falling down the stairs mm-hmm. and then the prosecution talks about if she was murdered this is how it would have happened and then has the scene of Michael Peterson murdering his wife. Like, mm-hmm. that shit was crazy. Also, just a heads up, a lot of hypersexualized stuff because his yes. bisexuality, homosexuality was mm-hmm. like a big. If you enjoy Colin Firth jerking case, off, this yeah. is for you. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, very. Uh, it's you know standard for HBO. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, but it was a big part of the case at the time. Let's remember this was mm-hmm. they're the in North 90s, Carolina. Right? In North, Which is, yeah, in Durham. Hello. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My family's from North Carolina. There's a reason my grandmother left. <laughs> it is yeah. exceptionally religious. And I do, again, as somebody who has knows what's going on, there would be these little, like, my thing, again, was like, when are they going to talk about the owl theory? Because that that's also a part mm-hmm. of this. And they would leave these little, little breadcrumbs, almost, mm-hmm. until they finally bring it up. But it'd be like... Because you know, there just, were like she was like looking up at the ceiling a lot because mm-hmm. she kept hearing noises and the bats, yeah, and the bat noises, and they would do like screeching noises, mm-hmm. and you were like, oh, yeah. is the owl theory coming? Yeah. Like giving little hints, but it, had, that didn't happen until the end. You know, they had a moment of her like walking up the driveway and then just like stopping and looking into the trees, and I was like, is this it? <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't. Not totally. And they it. did a good job of not picking a side, like. They had yes. the opportunity to, in their artistic interpretation of this, to say, well, this is what we think happened. Yeah. They really did a good job of being like, here's all of the stuff that happened, and here's all of the possibilities that happened. And they just followed the documentary pretty closely. Yeah. They didn't really, like, make a decision on the ending. So. Yeah. It's, honestly, would recommend, if you have any time to watch it, super good. Super, super good. I will say Michael Peterson did uh release a statement saying not a big fan mm-hmm. of uh how they did it but yeah that's fine yeah um anyway usually when good. people say stuff like that it's because they weren't included in the development and yeah. they get salty because they're not making money off of it yeah what is what happened with the Sex Pistols doc series? Oh yeah. Johnny Rotten is like it's bullshit because he wasn't asked to be involved and he is now like uh I'm I am so deeply saddened. He's like a Trump supporter. And oh like, God, I know he said, I actually, God news. should save the queen. And I was like, oh, whoa, fuck you. Dude. Everything I know is a lie. Oh, my God. That's what happens with middle aged men mm. that are white. <laughs> they just go yes. opposite direction. And it's gross. Yeah. <laughs> um, so check it out. It's called The Staircase on HBO. The f- series not the documentary but i would also recommend the documentary um which i think you can watch they on put netflix. it back up i think yeah is it also on hbo again? i think so okay um you can watch on netflix definitely you can watch it on hbo start to finish both are very good uh this is that part of the show where we say content may not be appropriate for all listeners mine's actually not bad mine's not either oh okay this might be appropriate for all listeners i mean there's crime in it there's crime but no murder I mean, there's implied murder, but no definitive murder. Unless you count the genocide of people as murder. (laughs) Janelle, what are we talking about today? (laughs) Well, in case you didn't know, I still fucking hate it here. So we're going to go outside of the U.S. again. (laughs) Yes, agree. You know, I'm just so concerned. I just learned yesterday that monarch butterflies are put on the endangered species list. And I'm just, I can't anymore. That was Yeah, that was a tipping point for me. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh I'm like, my God, I can't take Janelle. this anymore. We're careening into an apocalyptic zone. With no and I fucking can't. <laughs> the only thing that was holding me together was seeing a fucking monarch butterfly in my heart. <laughs> seeing the beauty of nature. Now I can't even enjoy it. Oh my it. God. They're like, honestly, Vicky, they said that we have like 25 to 30 years before we're in full extinction mode where the earth is just going like our oceans didn't you a couple episodes ago say it goes in cycles empires go in cycles yes but i'm talking about the earth now oh not just the united states the united states is close to its end but 95 percent of the plankton life in the ocean is gone and that's like 
That is yeah. where we came from. That yeah. is this, the sustenance of life. So like, Oof. they're like, well, we got about 25, 26 years before we are just don't have kids because we're all going to die. Great. Like, cool, 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 great, cool, cool, Great, <laughs> That'll probably be right around the time we can afford to buy a house. So. Well, I have a house, so I can't say that. But there's a reason why I didn't have children. I don't want to put them into an apocalyptic world. Yeah, right. Oh my there's God. no hope for our future, like the Sex Pistol said. No future. <laughs> and God save the queen. Right? But in reality, we are not talking about the apocalypse. <laughs> I wanted to go outside the United States because I just can't stand to read stuff about the U.S. anymore. So we're going to go over to a country or countries, I should say. We're going to take a a look at the Korean Peninsula. I say that very diplomatically. Yes. Um, The only thing I really knew about Korea up until a few years ago was their food. (laughs) I I will say, like, I definitely know... Um, like post Korean War, I definitely mm-hmm. know way more about North Korea than I do about South Korea, and that's just yes. because <laughs> North Korea is kind of like a cult country. It, it has is. a lot of like mm-hmm. culty vibes, so which I will be covering. That is why I'm like <laughs> wicked. I'm wicked into like North Korean so culture because a, not yeah. a lot of people have like a knowledge of Korea, the entirety of the peninsula. I'm just gonna give a little historical background before I go into my crimes. Okay. I said crimes. Do you like I said crimes? Because there definitely needs to be a little historical background for mine. And I feel like you are better at that than I am. Yeah. So we're going to go like all the way back to when Korea was a kingdom. Okay. So Korea started out as three kingdoms. And it wasn't until the 12th and 13th centuries when it became one kingdom. Okay. So they kind of had a little bit of... Wait, three you said? Yes. Okay. Wow. So there was like three sections that were ruled by different rulers. They worked together a little bit up until the 15th century when they, just before the 15th century when they decided, you know, enough's enough. So it became one kingdom. Sure. Japan first invaded Korea in the 15th century and it was in control and ruled Korea as like a puppet ruler uh, all the way until the end of World War II. So 15th century until 1945. Yeah. It's weird when you look at some of this history because it's like not, but also like this stuff did not happen that long ago. No. So if you're not aware, uh, there's a fun fact in here. Japan was actually very evil. Yeah. Until World War II (laughs) ended. Okay. So we have this like, oh, Godzilla, Pocky, anime, fun times. But the reality is that Japan was committing horrible genocide on not just Korea, but like China and every single thing that it fucking could get its hands on um, because they had little man syndrome because they're a tiny island. Yeah. (laughs) So um, Japan, I I love current Japan. Yes. (laughs) Current Japan is fun. Current Japan is Um, legit. But Japan pre-1945 was pure evil. (laughs) Um, They seriously massacred thousands maybe millions i would say of korean people oh my god over the course of their control of the korean peninsula wow korea was split in two after world war ii just like they did with germany the north was occupied by the soviets hence all the communism um and the south was controlled by the u.s which is why we have such great relations with them who would have thought (laughs) this did lead to the korean war in the 50s though the split So there was Cold War tensions happening in West Germany and Russia, but there was real war (laughs) happening in Korea um, because of the same problems. Yeah. Well, and didn't Russia have like 
a big hand in the stuff happening oh, in yeah. the northern part. Because they controlled them still. Yep. And they helped them. Still. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, that's yeah. exactly what happened, um, yeah. which is why we should have never made a pact with the devil, a.k.a. the USSR. Mm. <laughs> we're like, oh, you guys have so many people, you can help us. But then when the war was over, they're like, well, we're going to definitely take most of this land. Yeah. Which is exactly what Germany did. And Japan. Yeah. Mm. Whose axis should they have been on? Not ours. Yeah. <laughs> and now they're trying to do the same thing. Right? It's like history repeats itself or something. Oh, my God. Anyway, the war ended in 1953 militarily, which is an important part of this discussion. <laughs> Huge. Huge. Because um, this is when North and South Korea became official states in and of themselves. And I say militarily because the governments didn't actually come to a discussion about it until 2018 yeah and even then it wasn't fully decided but they did like a cool like handshake we good wink wink yeah um if you guys remember yeah. there were lots of <laughs> pictures of the south korean president meeting with mm-hmm. kim jong-un mm-hmm. who's the current north korean dictator yes we're gonna say the right words dictator uh, i don't I like <laughs> i think technically yeah technically it's like ruler mm-hmm. or father or something yeah. or other yeah dictator mm-hmm. um <laughs> yeah because they still have like the um what is the zone in between the two countries yes. mm-hmm. that i can't it's like a it's a military zone yeah military something zone dmz demilitarized zone mm-hmm. that's it quote demilitarized yeah. zone quote demilitarized but heavily militarized <laughs> yes so the opposite like, <laughs> this whole i i mean this whole time it's just been very very contentious between oh yeah north korea and south korea for a lot mm-hmm. of i mean not even just like the war stuff but for a lot of yeah reasons. there are, i mean honestly we still control south and russia still controls mm-hmm. the north if you want to be just blanket about it mm-hmm. um they say that they have rulers but you know people were strategically put into place for a reason yeah well and you have <laughs> if i don't want to I don't want to breach too far into, like, mm-hmm. where you're going, but you still have, like, people in North Korea escaping out and seeking mm-hmm. asylum in South Korea, which obviously, like, North Korea is, like, super not okay with. Oh, yes. And- There's lots of people dropping bombs that are defectors from yeah. North Korea. <laughs> and you have all of these North Korean nationals coming into South Korea to learn things like computer hacking and mm-hmm. we'll wire. Touch on that. <laughs> okay. I, but, all but, all I mean, of that we will still, touch on. There's still, like... A lot of other shit that Mm -hmm. is still going on. Oh, yeah. So you have your brief Cliff Notes history of the Korean Peninsula, but Mm. we're going to take a peek behind the curtain into North Korea. Yes. Yes, And we're going to look into the mysterious Room 39. Oh, my God. I don't know what this is, but girl, you have just like tapped on like, oh, my God, one of my hidden passions. I watched like a YouTube conspiracy theory about this, but it's not a conspiracy. So that's that was hilarious. Um, But I'm so excited. I'm so excited. It's mysterious. It's room 39, but it's also been called Office 39, Bureau 39, Division 39. And that's just the name that it's given to this kind of, it's hard to describe. So I'm going to call it a criminal organization slash political party. Okay. (laughs) But it's technically part of their government. It's technically like a bureau of their government. Sure. So they call their bureaus different numbers. Okay. So Office 39 is like 
just a faction of their government. So, like, it'd be like the FBI to us. But they're actually a criminal organization, let's be real, and they control the slush fund that is what controls North Korea. So, basically, like, the bank account for North Korea, which is actually the bank account for the dictator. Yes, yes. (laughs) So... North Korea was officially founded in the 40s by Kim Sung. And North Korea wasn't, like, necessarily evil too much in the beginnings. Like, they did a good job of kind of, like, being very, like, diplomatic, like, showy about, you know, oh, we're just – we just happen to be the other side of Korea. Like, they were very diplomatic about it. Um, But it was definitely very mysterious still. Uh, When we grew up, North Korea was evil and mysterious. You know, like, there was a lot of contention about they had weapons and they were going to, like, nuke us, right? Yeah, (laughs) it it probably wasn't until high school that I started really looking into, like, what was going on. Like, what the real deal was. I mean, which is still pretty accurate to what Mm -hmm. we were being told, but they're, you know, militarily or not, like... There's so much more. So okay. much more. Yeah. 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 So, in fact, the CIA actually did an analysis after World War II on North Korea just to kind of see, like, how they were in comparison to the U.S.'s South Korea. And they actually found that North Korea had come a long way in a short amount of time. And it was actually giving compassionate care for war orphans and orphaned children. Um It actually improved the social status of women in comparison to South Korea. So women had a little bit more rights. Um, There was free housing, free health care. And the life expectancy and infant mortality rate were actually very comparable and on the same page as a lot of the advanced nations like the U.S. and the U.K. So in the 50s, they were actually doing okay in terms of that. But (laughs) it wouldn't last long. No. It wasn't until the 70s when things started to, like, rapidly go downhill. Uh, There was an increase in border skirmishes, and slowly over time restrictions began to be put in place to control food and commerce. It was also at this time when the infamous Room 39 was created in 1972. Now, the office was created under the Finance and Accounting Department of the Central Committee of the Workers' Party of Korea. (gasps) It's a mouthful. (laughs) Everything is. I mean, technically, they're like the DPK... Yes, and there's letters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Democratic, Democratic People's mm-hmm. Republic of North Korea. Yes, yes. Um, if they put democratic in the title, it's not a democracy. <laughs> Look, we're a democracy. <laughs> so it's just, it's not though. Wait, <laughs> you know? What if you put um, united in front of a, oh God, oh no. Yep. So they did a double whammy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it is believed that it started out to keep finances for the country, but in reality, it is a slush fund for the Kim family. Mm-hmm. In the 90s, the largest famine to hit North Korea came. Thousands of people starved to death, and they were hemorrhaging money, just trying to keep up appearances. Um, It's estimated that between 240,000 to 420,000 people died during this time. Now, they estimate that because people disappear often. So it could be that they died, or they went to a camp, or they ran away. Um, Yeah. Well, and there's also always, always some question to numbers that are coming out of north mm-hmm. korea too because there's no one really keeping you know yeah tally. and they will always <laughs> give you the the better sounding yes so to them it's probably less than two hundred and forty thousand. Yeah. but in reality it's probably closer to four hundred thousand. yes yeah exactly exactly so kim il-sung died in 1994 
The country went into a period of mourning for three years before Kim Jong-un took over. Um, it wasn't until 1996 that the government actually decided to accept UN food aid. So it was like a period of six years where people were starving to death. <laughs> cool, cool, yeah. cool, 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 cool. Yeah. Um, then Room 39 really took off. Uh, the Bureau reportedly oversaw some 120 trading companies and mines, accounting for some 25% of North Korea's total trade and employing about 50,000 people. So that's a lot. Yes, that's huge. Um, Room 39 is also believed to be involved in the manufacturing and management of foreign currency earnings from hotels in Pyongyang, gold and zinc mines, and agriculture and fishing exports. They're like controlling a lot of stuff in a lot of different ways. But Room 39 also seems to be involved in some shady underworld businesses as well. Yes. Why, might you ask? Their sole purpose was to evade sanctions against North Korea and keep up the facade of its inherent greatness. Oh, my God. It's all, it is <laughs> always, 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 it is always about appearances. Mm-hmm. Like, I always think back to, I think it was Vice had gone in to do a documentary, oh, yeah. and there was the guy sitting at the computer just, like, not doing anything, but just typing. Like, mm-hmm. Typing. Or they're fake storefronts. Yes. That are supposed to be grocery stores, but yeah. they're fake. Oh my God. It yep. was always about appearances. Because they were in a famine and they yeah. put those fake grocery stores yeah. up, like, oh no, there's plenty of food. Look at this. Gr- look at yeah. all the grocery stores we have. Look at how fine it is over here. We like, will dive in a little bit why there was a famine. Mm. <laughs> and it's not what you think. So we're going to take a look at a couple big scandals that uh, Room 39 was involved okay. in. I'm so I am loving every second of this. So first we're gonna look at some drugs. Yeah. So North Korea apparently has been dealing drugs through Room 39 since the 1970s. Okay. (laughs) The manufacturing and distribution of meth and fake prescription drugs like Viagra is their prime export. Oh my Um, god! Fake Viagra. Fake Viagra. I wonder. So knockoff Viagra. I wonder what country. Horny goat. Whatever that. Weed. Yeah. Horny cut weed. I wonder what country has the highest Viagra use, and is it the United States? It might be the United States. Um, but I'm not sure. We can check into that. <laughs> Someone fact check us. You but go the on. Most, I'm going to Google yes. this. The most striking story about the drug trade came from a few defectors of the country after the famine. Between 1977 and 2003, more than 20 North Korean diplomats, agents, and trade officials have been implicated, detained, or arrested in drug smuggling operations in more than a dozen countries. During the famine, according to the defector, the country was telling people to grow poppies instead of grain. This supposedly yep. was one of the reasons the famine became so deadly. With most of the land being used to grow inedible poppies, the amount of food grown in the country was over halved. Then a drought happened, effectively increasing starvation tenfold. <laughs> Inedible poppies, very uh, great for drug use. <laughs> exactly. You make a lot of drugs out of poppies. Lots of drugs. In 2001, income from the illegal drug trade amounted to be between $500 million and $1 billion for the country. Wow. Yeah. In 2013, it was estimated that the revenues from methamphetamine sales alone – where we're $100 million to $200 million. Now, fun fact, why are they creating so much fucking meth? <laughs> is it something they learned from the Nazis? Perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> meth is actually a prescription drug in North Korea. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, 
North Korea gives out meth for certain ailments, and when they saw that the drug was actually illicit and recreational in other countries, a light bulb went off, and they decided, well, let's create more, because then we can sell it. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. So, North Korea deals drugs, and if you've gotten meth, it's probably from North Korea. (laughs) I have an answer to the Viagra question. Okay, let's see. After reading this, I'm, like, not surprised. Um, Is it North Korea? No. (laughs) No. So it's actually Arab country, Arabic countries, Uh, um, with the top being Saudi Arabia, United Arab Emirates, and Egypt. I'm not surprised. Yeah, me neither. (laughs) I was like, yep, okay, yep, sounds Sounds about right. Sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the next big trade that Room 39 is involved in is a little bit of counterfeiting. Mm. According to North Korean defectors, the North Korean government has counterfeited 50 and 100 United States banknotes since the 1970s under the watchful eye of Room 39. Yep. (laughs) According to a report, North Korea circulated $100 million in counterfeit currency in 2001 alone, with a revenue of 15 to 25 million dollars. That's crazy. That's just an insane, insane. Check amount. your hundred dollar bills, y'all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so David Asher, who started watching North Korea um, at the Pentagon during the Clinton era when he worked there, um, stated, quote, in one sense, Office 39 is like an investment bank. It provides the money for the stuff Kim needs. Like any organized crime syndicate, you've got a Don and you've got accountants, and it's a very complicated business. Keeping track of all this money and making sure the boss gets paid. But when members of the organization don't deliver, they get killed. Yeah. So crime effectively has become the major export of North Korea. And its counterfeiting business has one main goal, not just making money, but also to undermine the United States government. Yep. (laughs) As you do. North Korea is like the Trump of the world at large. Oh, yeah. It's like, I just want to undo everything the guy before me did. Yes. So, like, <laughs> how do you better undermine a country than counterfeit its currency? Yes. Right? Yeah, for real. Like, you're you're putting distrust in that particular government, and you're proving that that money is worthless. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Since 1996, the U.S. has tried to outwit the North Korean uh, supernote manufacturer by changing the design of the Hunter Bill twice so if you remember we added some color we added that weird stripe hologram thing maybe you don't remember because you've never seen a fucking hundred dollar bill because you're in poverty yeah (laughs) but don't i don't see many of them but i mean it's not like i don't either (laughs) when you think about like changing currency like that it's not like they take back all of the currency and then exchange it they just introduce Introduce it Mm -hmm. introduce it in them so like there's still all those old bills just i mean they do get rid of money eventually like banks will send them if there is something that's, like, roughed up, torn, right. whatever, banks are supposed to send it to them. Um, but it's not like that happens so It's not, like, much. instantaneously. Yeah. yeah. Money's so gross. there's still going to be, <laughs> yeah, there's still going to be money floating around mm-hmm. for a year. I mean, we still have bills from, like, the 60s and 70s and I 80s. And the- I still see $100 bills with all the fancy shit on there. You see a lot more $100 bills than I do. I, I don't personally. <laughs> They're, it's not my money. Um, <laughs> this is money I get to hold for a second. It's money that I put into a bank deposit yeah. box. Um, yeah. uh, counterfeiters have actually kept up with the change, though. Wow. So they've been able to reproduce the new $100 bills with all of their fancy, you know, extras, their bells and whistles. We just need to move uh-huh. to Bitcoin. 
I'm kidding. I am kidding. 100%. I started. I started watching the Anarchists in HBO. I don't know. Ooh, I want to watch that. it. It looks really good. We will talk I about that on a future episode. Never been so fucking annoyed in my life. Yeah. They are not real anarchists. Okay. Yeah. We will. They we, are an anarcho capitalists, and I just want to punch everything. <laughs> we will talk about that on a future yes, episode because I will have. It looks so really many good. opinions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they're like really into pushing Bitcoin, mm. and I get it. Banks are fucking stupid, but. If you're a true anarchist, no money, not Bitcoin, not cash, Barter. not fucking gold bars. You were just talking about this the other week. I Bartering. Know. Bartering. Seriously. Bartering. Yeah. Exchange what you have. Yeah. And if you don't have anything, you have to come up with some sort of contractual agreement. Yeah. That's what anarchy is about. <laughs> it's about agreeing between people. Yes. So I'm annoyed. Anyway. <laughs> Um, these counterfeit, like, $100 bills have actually been found, like, everywhere. They've been found all over Asia, all over Europe, in the Middle East, and inside the United States. So, yeah, odds are you probably have a counterfeit North Korean 50 or $100 bill. Yeah. <laughs> now, the next and most, I think, crazy kind of conspiracy slash crime that Room 39 has been involved in is insurance fraud. Okay. So, communist country and North Korea, there's only one form of health insurance. <laughs> you have the sure. Korean National Insurance Corporation. They're okay. the ones who oversee all insurance for the entire country because that's that's it. Okay. It's it's North Korea. You get one thing, no choices. <laughs> fair. So I, well not fair, but I mean that tracks. Yeah. Yes, this tracks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They use international markets in coordination with their singular insurance to defraud international companies of millions of dollars. Okay. What? Okay. <laughs> Insurance is mind-boggling to me. Yeah. Um, and this confused me even further. It's like almost like we don't need it. Anyway. <laughs> almost, almost like it's a ploy to just make like, money. It's like right. weird. It's almost weird. like, you know, drugs don't need to cost that much. And it's almost like we're X-ray. one of the <laughs> only <laughs> places that does that. Mm. Mm, okay. Mm. Back to North Korea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> According to a defector... Which, at, at halfway through this, I decided to stop calling them defectors. So I'm going to say the survivor now the rest of the way. <laughs> Fair. North Korean survivors. Yeah. Um, because they, you know, they escaped a government that's really out to murder all the people they that live there. They escaped a straight-up dictatorship. Yeah. And it's crazy. So the North Korean survivors stated, After purchasing international insurance or reinsurance for state infrastructure, documents are forged or on alleged accidents, which earns the state tens of millions of dollars a year. Okay. So the country began making money um, when they were working with a London-based international insurance market in the 80s. When North Korea founder Kim Il-sung was still in power and his son Kim Jong-il was there, they were kind of working together on how they can push this further and get money through defrauding insurance sure sure so on july 9th 2005 a north korean helicopter crashed and destroyed a pyongyang warehouse containing emergency relief goods on purpose oh god okay the warehouse was insured by knic which had signed contracts in euros with reinsurers Oh, my God. (laughs) Money was in short supply partly as a result of the U.S. and U.N.-led financial sanctions against the Kim Jong-il regime for nuclear weapons programs. So they're like, well, we got to make money somehow. Yeah. Um, The insurers refused to pay because they were like, I don't think this is I don't think that there was actually this stuff inside of this warehouse. Okay. Because the 
total cost of the damages was $56 million. Damn. What Jesus. do you have in there, sir? <laughs> it's where we store our nuclear weapons. Right? <laughs> um, so they claimed that they had relief goods, so like medications, food, aid, equipment, in there that totaled $56 million. And then when the helicopter magically crashed into it, everything burned to the ground. There was nothing left. And so they need that $56 million. I feel like if you had all of these relief things, goods, goods yes. mm-hmm. in just like a warehouse, like... Wouldn't they be using them? Because they're still like, at a oh no, no, time. because they're an amazing country and oh they don't need it. But if they did need it, would they have? They it? have, except it. now they don't because but now they don't up. have it. And so we need that money to rebuy the goods that we don't actually need, but we need just in case. Oh my god, <laughs> so. the mental gymnastics, exactly. Man. Uh, lawyers representing the North Korean insurance company argued that the insurance claim was a legitimate commercial debt owed to KNIC by reinsurers who were fully aware of the nature of the contract when they signed it and had even agreed to let North Korean tribunal adjudicate the claim. So saying, like, if there was anything to happen, that it would that they would take it to court in North Korea. Okay. Legit. Which, obviously, they're going to rule in favor of the North Koreans. Right, right. <laughs> Now, it never went to court because a settlement was reached, and they eventually let them have 95% of the original claim. So whatever 95% of $56 million is. Still a fucking lot. That's a lot of money. That's still a lot. (laughs) So there was a lot of government sanctions that happened after this case against North Korea again to kind of ensure that there wasn't... Uh, ability to get insurance outside of North Korea for the goods within North Korea. Um, and it hasn't really worked very much. <laughs> yeah. Because they've created shell company after shell company after shell company. Right, right. Um, which leads me to the next shell company that they are using to front money. And it's in the hospitality industry. <laughs> Any guesses? Mm, no. Okay. So Room 39 is also uh, the runner of multiple restaurant chains and hotels outside of North Korea. Don't they? Okay, I'm going to make a guess now because this is ringing a bell. It should ring a bell. (laughs) Because, okay. Uh, You know what? I'm not going to make a guess. I don't want to spoil it. Because I'm thinking this is where they send um, their people, essentially. They sure do. Okay. okay. (laughs) I I get it now. I'm on it. Okay. Yep, yep. So the restaurant chain is called Pyongyang, after the capital, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, And the first handful of Pyongyang restaurants spring up in North China near the border, obviously, near the militarized zone, about the 1990s. After that, uh, in the 21st century, brought with it a boom in an estimated 100 branches opening up across Asia. In 2012, a Pyong restaurant, Pyongyang restaurant opened in Amsterdam, which was the first in Europe. It closed after a few months, but then reopened at the end of the following year. So, a little mm-hmm. fishy. Okay. wonder what was happening at that time mm-hmm. in 2012. <laughs> not the end of the world. Surely not. Um, not only are the restaurants around to bring in money, obviously, by selling authentic North Korean cuisine, um, but the staff is there uh, to be held hostage. <laughs> so all staff of the North Korean Pyongyang restaurants are allowed to go to work and to go back to their housing complex, which is shared by staff only. Yep. Um, the waitresses are very carefully selected they go through extensive training they're basically tracked 24 hours a day 
They go to work, which is over a regular work day. They usually work about 10 to 12 hours. And then they go back to their little, like, complex, and they're not allowed to leave without permission or without someone to be with them. Yeah. Which is probably why they aren't outside of the United States – or outside of North Korea that much. Um, Most of them are within Asia. So, like – Cambodia, Thailand, Vietnam, China. Yeah. You also got to think, too, It there are, I think they realize that, I mean, I mean, especially by this point in 2022, right? They realize that there is a huge section of their population that has escaped the country mm-hmm. um, for one reason or another or were allowed to leave for mm-hmm. one reason or another. Yes. And so there is definitely a huge market of former North Koreans in Mm -hmm. these areas that would like buy into something like that right exactly um but also just like the lure of something that you can't have right Mm -hmm. you're you're most people aren't allowed to go to north korea yeah so you know they kind of bring that quote unquote authentic kind of cuisine and experience to you because you're not allowed into the country um but there have been people who have escaped this particular restaurant chain (laughs) Which, it's like being held captive by chilies. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what is happening? Please. No. I don't want my baby back right No more chips and salsa. <laughs> I want my freedom. <laughs> so one particular waitress who ran away from the restaurant. Oh, the whole thing is just so mind boggling. Yeah. Um, she ran away with a South Korean man uh, at she was at a restaurant who was outside the militarized zone within China. Um, she ran away with a South Korean man and they fled to Thailand. And she gave this story anonymously. Um, and she stated that she was afraid that her family would be sent away to prison. Yeah. Which leads me to believe that there is more than one waitress escaping at a time. <laughs> if she's like, I, I feel comfortable telling you this story, but not giving you my name. Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. obviously she's one of many women who have escaped, uh, the Pyongyang restaurant chain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course, they also have uh, restaurant chains and things like that that are outside of Pyongyang. Um, they also have a hotel uh, group that they run um, mostly in uh, the Middle East and in Asia. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which, again, gives you, like, this authentic kind of, like, cultural experience. <laughs> yeah. Of course, I could touch on other things uh, that have been a part of the North Korean kind of crime. Um, but they're a little bit outside of Room 39, so I didn't want to tell those stories. Just uh, There's, you know, kidnapping, mm. extortion, mm-hmm. uh, hacking, hacking of government systems, yeah. illegal I, arms trades. Before we move on, I will touch on that. <laughs> yeah, so I'm yeah. not telling any of those yeah, stories. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's also, like, human trafficking. Yes. So all of that stuff happens within the government, but not particularly to Room 39. Yeah. So I just wanted to touch on just the crimes that Room 39 for sure is involved in. Yes. Um, And, you know, they keep control of the money. They have the coffers for the entirety of North Korea. And they say it's for the, you know, for the government, for the people, but it's not. Yeah. It's for the Kim family. Yep. Um, And, you know, he has put his relatives in positions of power. Some of them have worked for Room 39. Um, Some of them are dead. Yes. Um, which is why I gave that kind of, you know, thing at the beginning. Yeah. Where, like, if you don't commit to the state, the state will kill you. Mm. I will say, though, that the current leader is much softer than the previous two. And I don't just mean in shape. but <laughs> Hey, he's hey. gotten in shape. Exactly. <laughs> he's a soft shape. <laughs> in better, better shape. Yeah. You know, he mm-hmm. is of... Of the Kim rulers, he is, like, not as... Dictatorial, sort of? <laughs> um, 
kind of, yeah. I was going to say, he's not as crazy. Like, he's not as um, intense, but he also doesn't have, like, the same skill set as his predecessors. Mm. Like, he comes from a line of people who were, like, as far as uh, they were military in, like, knowledge wars. knows. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. they know that kind of stuff. They know how to run a country. Well, I mean, run a, a dictatorship. dictatorship. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, they at least have some knowledge of, like, how this kind of stuff works. Mm-hmm. And if I remember correctly, like, he was not necessarily super keen on being the next leader. Like, he right. necessarily... And he loves, like, American stuff. I yes. mean, hello, Dennis Rodman came 100%. visit. Oh, my God, which is a great documentary. If you've never watched that documentary... um, you know, Fuck, what is the name of that? It's so good. It's kind of like the it's things so you can't good. have, you become attracted to, right? So yes. he, he he grew up thinking the United States was evil, but enjoyed all of the things that the United States had to offer because as a ruler, you can bring that stuff to you. And he did. You know? It's called Dennis Rodman's Big Bang in Pyongyang. Yeah, of course. So I love good. the alliteration of it. Really fucking crazy. Um, anyway, check it out. Yeah. So, you know, we could talk about how evil North Korea is all the time, but I'd like to end on this note for my my story. Okay. Although the government is pure evil, there are people who are literally trapped there. Yes. It is a country held hostage by a few elite. It is a country that has been controlled and puppeted since its beginnings. And so let's keep in mind those people who suffer there daily and wish they could defect and don't have the opportunity to, and hopefully one day... There won't be a dictator in place, and they might be able to have some sort of a life outside of North Korea. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Girl, North Korea, that shit is just, like I said, like it, that, I think that's why it fascinates me so much is because it is very much run like a cult. And you have people who are like born into this who literally mm-hmm. don't know any different. Like yeah. this is why I do not lay much if any of the blame on the people who still live there because mm-hmm. by now you have generations and generations of people who just literally don't know any different. Yeah. And it's kind of hard because it does get kind of bastardized and mm-hmm. talked about negatively, but that's the government. It's not the people of North right. Korea. Um and to be perfectly honest, Koreans in general, like people who've come to the United States, Korean immigrants have been treated I would say the worst out of all of the Asian countries Mm -hmm. because I believe of the perception of North Korea. Yeah. Um, I've watched a lot of documentaries. I follow a couple Korean comedians and musicians and uh, the stories that they tell of the racism against them is harrowing. And I do hear that a little, you know, you hear it a a little bit about Chinese immigrants, especially when they first were immigrating Mm -hmm. here. Uh, Japanese immigrants during World War II. Yeah. They were straight up put into concentration camps. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it all came back around as soon as fucking COVID hit. It became exactly. the quote unquote China virus. And exactly. then people were committing all of these acts of violence against Asian communities. like Who had nothing to do with it. Or yes. people who have lived here for decades. It's like, yes. go fuck yourself. Yeah. But um, oh my God. the treatment of Korean people still, mm-hmm. I think, has a lot to do with the kind of uh, interpretations that people have of North Korea yeah. and they forget that South Korea even exists, I guess. Um, yeah. But it's it's not, you know, it's not the people of the country who are doing bad. It's the elite yeah. few who have money who decided to control everyone mm-hmm. um, and that's what, you know, yeah. that's what happens when you have a dictatorship. <laughs> really quick before we move off, I do want to give a podcast recommendation. Ooh, um, yes. It is by the BBC. It's called The Lazarus Heist mm. um, and it does take a look at this sort of... Um, 
long distance computer hacking bank heist deal Mm -hmm. uh, that is believed to have been perpetrated by North Korea. It kind of goes into this like culture of training people and sending them out. So like, if you want to know more about that, it's a great podcast to listen to. I think they also in the first episode touch on if you remember, oh my God, what is his name? Seth uh, Rogen and... James Franco's James movie? Franco, the dictator yeah. that came out and there was this whole Sony hack and then people were like flying yeah. over North Korea, dropping this DVD and blah, blah. It kind of goes into that too. So mm-hmm. like, um, if you're interested in any of that, that's a, it's called the Lazarus, Lazarus heist. Mm-hmm. It's a great podcast to check out. Awesome. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Did you go to our our southern brethren? (laughs) I did. Yeah. So initially, so Janelle... And I were at this event yesterday and... Are you going to show your cards now, Vicky? Yeah, I literally had not started writing for this episode because I was like, I just don't know what to cover. I'm just like not sure options, what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Korea is one of these places that has like some really fucking crazy serial killers and like yeah. murders and disappearance, like weird disappearances. Which is why I um, wanted to choose that because mm-hmm. there's so like, because no, I feel like nobody thinks about that entire peninsula yeah they're just like oh yeah i love you know bulgogi cool (laughs) honestly they don't have to go past the food (laughs) korean horror films are some of the best out there we've copped a lot of korean films for sure yeah (laughs) um and so i'm looking around and like i I found something that i'm very very excited about yeah i purposefully didn't look at much because i I want it to remain mysterious so that mm. maybe we can come back to it at yes, a later date. I'd yes. love to do a Korea part two. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if you have listened to our show for like any length of time, <laughs> you will know that I love, I love, love, love to sink my teeth into a massive fraud case. Yes. You were I all about the white collars. Love some white collar <laughs> crime. Like Enron holds a special place in my heart, y'all. <laughs> Like, people just try thinking they can get away with anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it took me a little while to, like, land on this topic. But once I heard about Daewoo. <laughs> that sounds like a rap band. <laughs> like a Korean. It like means, Korean, um, like, um, uh, uh, Wu-Tang. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so once I found out about Daewoo, we had to, like, I, I knew we had to I did not have it. coffee this morning, so pardon me for my... <laughs> No brain. Um, but like Daewoo had this like also just like a massive impact on the South Korean people. So it's kind of nice that we have like North Korea, South Korea thing going on. Yeah. Because I'm also going to talk about the Korean War. Oh, yeah. Of <laughs> a course. little bit. You like you can't yeah. not talk about the history of Korea when you talk about the crimes. Because yes. It, the shit that's happened there is so it has influenced lots of and lots of things. Yes. Yeah. I'll also say Daewoo means I think it's a great universe. It's okay. like the you know, very idealistic name of a mm-hmm. company. Okay. So the story of Daewoo actually starts with the story of Kim Woo-chung, 
Um, so Mr. Kim was born in 1936 on the southern island of Jeju. I think there is a, I'm pretty sure that there is a Korean TV show on Netflix um, that is about this bed and breakfast. And I think it's on the island of Jeju. Okay. Um, it's super, super good. By the way, the bed and breakfast is run by this Korean pop star. Um, it's horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really, really good. Um, anyway, so uh, Mr. Kim's father is described. He was described by the New York Times as, quote, a school teacher turned provincial governor. Okay. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he was taken from the family when during the Korean War, he was kidnapped by communists and taken to North Korea. As happens. Yes. <laughs> he was just like, like whisked away to North Korea. They did that a lot to women. Yeah. There wasn't enough women in yeah. the North, so they stole women. Yeah. And many times, like, the the impression that I got from my research, because you do not really see his father mentioned after that, mm-hmm. my impression is that they don't really know what happened to him after that. Oh, and yeah. that is very common. That happens a lot. Yeah. Um, so it then landed on Mr. Kim to uh, support and provide for his family. He was like the sole provider for his whole family. But I also allowed him to sort of showcase his business savvy that would make him famous later on. Uh, starting at age 14 and continuing through college, Mr. Kim worked various jobs to not only support the family, uh, or I'm excuse, excuse me, he worked various jobs, including uh, delivering newspapers, selling veggies and iced tea on the streets. Okay. Mm-hmm. A little vendor um, action. Yeah. He was able to not only support his family, but graduated from Kyunggi High School, um, which is the most pre- prestigious high school in South Korea. It's hard to do. I to looked go into to this a little and also bit. Work. Oh my god! And you have to imagine like working these long hours and mm-hmm. studying, and I've done that. You've done that. Well, schooling is very different yes. in Asian countries than it is here. It's like they go to school for longer, legit. and they are required to study for a certain amount of hours. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> um, so I did look into this high school a little bit. It's an all an all boys school that is the oldest modern high school in South Korea. Um, it was the highest ranked school in the country before entrance entrance exams were abolished in like the late 70s, early 80s. Okay. Um, and it boasts famous alumni in all sorts of position, including four prime ministers. Oh, hell. Oh, hell. Uh, so after high school, Mr. Kim went on to graduate from Yonsei University with a BA in economics in 1960. Mr. Kim's first business venture was in 1961 when he began working at Hansung Industrial uh, Corporation Limited, which had been owned by one of his relatives at the time. All I could really find out about them is that they were in the business of manufacturing automotive stamping. Okay. Dude, I don't know. <laughs> there is, a, I'm going to say, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff that I do not know anything about, and it's like financial I, stuff. I, so automotive stamping, I think they mean where they, have to, where they have to imprint on parts um, so that you can match them up. So like when you have a car... All the parts have specific numbers. Yeah. Um, and so when you get your little manual, it says this engine block is this number, or this, you know, yeah. whatever is this number, so that if you have to replace it, they just look up the number. Gotcha. Okay. Um, after he worked there, he left um, pretty shortly after and started Daewoo Industries with five associates, entering into the textiles trading business. Okay. Um, now, there is obviously some really important political stuff that was happening at this time that really aided in the success of Daewoo. 
Uh, for one, General Park Chung-hee seized power in a 1961 coup. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So the war ended in like 1957, Three. 58, 53. Three of, officially. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So this was like not long. There was still a lot of like mm-hmm. political upheaval. So he seizes power in 1961 in a coup. Um, this was super helpful because Mr. Kim's dad had been a mentor to General Park and, in his younger years. And so in turn, he like looked on Mr. Kim pretty favorably. Mm-hmm. South Korea was also still rebuilding from the Korean War. And there was like this huge focus on industrialization and expanding South Korea's exporting potential because it didn't really have like a ton of natural resources. Mm-hmm. And so they were like exporting is the way forward to grow the country. So this is kind of like the backdrop to everything. Um, yeah, we still had military over there for a very long time. Yeah. I mean, we still saw, send military over there. We right. still have a base. But I right. mean, like, we were occupying for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, again, according to the New York Times, quote, Mr. Kim was the first South Korean businessman to set up offices overseas in Sydney, Australia, and in Singapore in 1969. The business model was based on the idea of sort of finding companies that were failing financially or close to bankruptcy, buying them up, and then turning them around into profitable profitable businesses. Okay. All under... Yes, essentially, (laughs) yeah. And all of these businesses were then uh, put under sort of like the Daewoo Group label. Okay, yeah. There are lots of companies that do that. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, this is is not an uncommon thing. Mm -hmm. It's often referred to as a... Oh, God. See, this is where I'm like, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. A debt-based strategy where you're, like, incurring these debts in hopes that you turn the business around to then make it profitable and yeah, make that like money Gucci back. Yeah, Gucci did that in the 90s. Yes. Like, after everyone got murdered and <laughs> kept selling portions of their – they find, they sold, like, a portion of theirs to, like, a, a company like that in the Middle East. Yes. Uh, I think it was a Saudi Arabian prince, actually. Of course. Um, and then when the main guy got shot in the street, they sold the entirety of it. Okay. So Gucci is not owned by any Gucci people. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I just watched that movie. <laughs> I Oh, like House Lady Gaga. Yeah. Oh, I want to see that. A it's, lot of people have told me it's terrible, but I still want to see it because it I love good, her. It's not good, but it is funny. Informative? It's informative. Okay. Um, She didn't – she wasn't the worst, to be perfectly yeah, honest. I love her. She was a little extra at the end. That's fine. I feel like she, she could have pulled okay back a little bit. Um, when It was the part where she goes to get people to kill her hus- ex-husband, uh, where it was too much. I gotcha. was like, that was too much. She okay. wasn't like that. Um, But Jared Leto should have never been in that movie. He should never he be in He was the movie. fucking worst. He was the worst one. He's a cult leader. He, that, um, but also they had to put him in like a fat suit and a bald yeah. cap. And I'm like, why? Oof. Just get a fat, bald man. You don't need Jared Leto. He's the worst. Anyway. <laughs> Tangent. Um, yeah. So Daewoo's like buying up, I should say Mr. Kim is buying up all the, all of these close to bankruptcy businesses, turning them around to be profitable under Daewoo. This was something that was readily supported by the government at the time who were like giving tons of tax breaks and great loan rates along with lenient risk assessments uh-huh. to <laughs> the table. Okay. So did you run into this term at all? This is something I'm not familiar with. No. And you had to... So the chabel, it's C-H-A-E-B-O-L, chabel, okay. is sort of this, um, I saw it referred to as like a financial click. Mm-hmm. Um, it's either run by like, it's a term they use for this financial click that's run by like a rich family or a group of wealthy companies. It's not, is it pronounced chabel or cabal? I don't know. 
<laughs> I thought I know the term cabal. I thought cabal but started how is it with spelled? a K. I don't know. <laughs> so I'm like, is it? That sounds like what a cabal is. <laughs> what it, okay, I'm gonna let's see if I can embarrass myself on. No, air. I, I honestly, I've never looked up the word cabal. So I was like, I always thought cabal started with a K. Is it? Maybe is not. A very, very close. Word? Oh my god, I'm going to. Is it cabal? Let's see. <laughs> I'm a fucking idiot. I can't. <laughs> No, you're not. But you're, as you're describing it, I'm like, that sounds like what a yeah. cabal is. I'm like, is cabal? I've never, se- I've never seen it written down. <laughs> okay. How do you pronounce it? Okay. Pr- okay. Nope. Google, you're not helping me right now. What is cabal? Pronunciation. Cable. Let's see. Ready? <laughs> Chable. Uh, okay. Cabal is spelled spelled differently, I think. <laughs> Tiff cut out all that stuff <laughs> before that. They we'll just, just say we're both spelled right. very closely yes. the same and mean almost the exact same. Kind of, except one's like <laughs> one a, specific. A cabal is a col- a political mm-hmm. clique, whereas a chable mm-hmm. <laughs> is like a financial. It's like a cabal, except with yes. finances. It's with like one extra word for finance or one extra letter for finances. Yes. <laughs> so. <laughs> I was like, I'm getting so confused. Oh they God. sound the same. Yeah. So, so, so at the time, South Korea had these this chable that consisted of this was like the late 60s, early 70s, consisted of what they called the big three. Okay. Can you guess what it was? Oh, I don't know. Thank you. Surprise me. Okay. So um it was other than it was Daewoo was mm-hmm. one, Samsung. Okay, that makes sense. And Hyundai. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, those and, are the only yeah. the only two Hyundai, I know in the in Korea. So yeah. Hyundai. Well, I think now LG is in there too. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Because Daewoo, well, we'll we'll get into it. Okay. But um <laughs> LG is is in there now too. But Samsung obviously has now been sort of relegated to the computer technology space. Mm-hmm. Um Hyundai's sort of the automotive transportation, because they also do like uh, they have keyboards, ship making, and they have make instruments, aerospace, right? and maybe instruments. I'm yeah. Sure yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so anyway, Mr. Kim continues this like crazy expansion. He's buying up all these companies. He's making them profitable. He's expanding all of these overseas relationships. And honestly, like he played this huge. I'm thinking of Yamaha. I'm wrong. Yamaha. Yamaha. I'm like no Hyundai. <laughs> I literally drive a Hyundai Sonata. No, there's Yamaha makes vehicles and keyboards oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm like wait a minute no, yamaha. Yeah. <laughs> told you no coffee no brain <laughs> um so he's like mr kim is playing this huge part in boosting south korea's post-war economy mm-hmm. again this is from the new york times quote in 1992 mr kim becomes the first south korean businessman to visit north korea at the invitation of its founder, Kim Il-sung, um, the debut chief called that isolated country the last market on Earth. He opened the... F- I don't know about that. <laughs> he opened the first joint inter-Korean venture in 1995, Ooh. producing textiles from the North Korean port city of Nampo. So he, like, is the first one to, like, mm-hmm. open up any business relations with North Korea. Especially, be- I mean, between the two countries. Because they're, they're supposedly not a capitalist society. <laughs> Doesn't yeah. sound like it. But. <laughs> um, so between the 80s and 90s, Daewoo expanded into the automotive market, um, with Mr. Kim saying he wanted to be the 
automotive Genghis Khan. <laughs> I don't know how I get these cases with these crazy, like, oh. what was the last one? The Alexander, I did one too. The Alexander Graham Bell of phone sex. Yeah. This is the automotive Genghis Khan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's, he raped and pillaged, so I don't know if you necessarily want that. Do that, but <laughs> to the auto market. <laughs> Rape and pillage is automotive yes. parts. Whoa, sir. Um, I mean, if, at the rate he's buying up these derelict automotive businesses. Isn't that also like, a song? Now? Wasn't, that, wasn't there a Genghis Khan song? I get a little bit Genghis Khan. So, so you get a little bit rapey, is yeah. what you're saying? I don't want you to get it on with nobody else but me. That's so the song. So you're saying you're yeah. a rapist. Yeah. So that much. song's about being a rapist. Yeah. Cool, 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 cool. Anyway. <laughs> um, okay. So. Derailed once again. <laughs> I know. This is a very derailed episode. So. He is expanding to the automotive market. Um, He builds automotive factories in China, India, Poland, Romania, and Uzbekistan, along with many others. Uh, Mr. Kim also had strong connections to the real estate world in the United States in the 1980s. Can you guess? Bubbles? What his connection would be. Is it Donald Trump? It sure is. <laughs> um, he ended up striking a licensing deal with uh, I'm shocked. Donald Trump to use Trump's name on several buildings in Korea, mm-hmm. South Korea. Yeah. Um, okay. And yet he's broke, supposedly. <laughs> this was the 80s. Right after, Everyone yeah. was rich and doing cocaine. Right? That's where all of his money went, into the cocaine. Mm. <laughs> okay. So here we are. The table is like seeing this rapid expansion thanks to sort of sketchy business ties with corrupt past governments. Like by this point, they've gone through a couple governmental changes. Um, But then in the late nineties, South Korea starts to see the effects of the Asian financial crisis. Um, So the government kind of goes to the table and says, Hey guys, can we like cool it on the expansion stuff for a little bit and maybe like pare down your assets a little lay off some employees from your like, overstaffed companies maybe like can we just like don't tell me what to do (laughs) pretty much (laughs) i'm a table (laughs) mr Mr. kim is like nah and Mm -hmm. just continues on with business as usual um with this really aggressive acquisition strategy Unfortunately for him, and he all, read Art of the Deal too much. Yeah, right. All of by this time, actually, I think he had written his own books his own? that were uh-huh. like about okay. entrepreneurial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately for him and all of the employees of Daewoo, uh, banks had been prompted to by this financial crisis to sort of start calling in their loans. Mm-hmm. Can you pay us, maybe? <laughs> and the value of the South Korean won against the dollar fell by more than half. Yikes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they weren't able to pay these loans. Yeah. Um, the company had to go bankrupt, and the South Korean government had to accept a $58 billion bailout from the International Monetary Fund. Wow. That's a lot of fucking money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so just as much as he was able to like build up the country's financial success, like they also mm-hmm. depended on him way too much because it yeah. financially ruined the country. Yep. That tracks. <laughs> Obviously, like Daewoo did not survive this meltdown thanks to a debt-based strategy and some not so great calls made by Mr. Kim. Daewoo was forced to declare bankruptcy in 1999. And the government began auctioning off the many, like, companies that made up the Daewoo group. Fun fact, 
General Motors Corporation acquired a major stake in Daewoo Motor to create GM Daewoo in 2002. And just for an idea of sort of like the size of the company at this point, Daewoo had 41 affiliates at home and 600 branches and subsidiaries overseas, employing a total of 350,000 people worldwide. It's a lot of fucking people. Mr. Kim, I guess you could say, sort of sensed, uh, <laughs> sensed the impending doom and he flees the country. <laughs> Correct choice, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, he it reportedly stayed in like mostly a luxury property in France. Okay. <laughs> and meanwhile, the government is like investigating. They've taken, um, I forget what the term is, but they've essentially taken temporary control of all the assets of Daewoo. Mm. So they're starting to lay off all of these workers. They're trying to get a handle on this situation. The layoffs themselves actually sparked major protests and riots across the country involving thousands and thousands of laid off workers and so many Molotov cocktails. (laughs) Like I pulled up, I'm going to post in the notes. There's a couple of videos of the riots. Mm -hmm. Um, there's, I, you guys would just hear rioting sounds and people talking in Korean. So like, <laughs> I'm not going to play them on the show, but it's crazy. Oh, man. <laughs> it is just waves and waves of people throwing Molotov cocktails at police. And they How actually should be done. You know, <laughs> after the Daewoo riots, the, the Korean South Korean police completely changed their training strategy to adjust to a Molotov cocktail, how heavy. to react to Molotov cocktails mm-hmm. and like how to deal with that. Um, but it's insane because it's they're all happening like outside these it's some of them are outside of the Daewoo factories and some of them are like the employees on the inside of the Daewoo. Like there's one where the Malt employees the walls are using <laughs> like a fire hose from oh Daewoo God. to spray the police. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like it's cr- it's wild. That's um, how you should riot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'll put those up in the show notes, too. But um, Mr. Kim. Finally, he had managed to make Interpol also. Uh, Goals, you know? Hashtag goals. (laughs) Uh, For his crimes in South Korea. So he spent about five years on the run, um, finally returning to South Korea in 2005 to face the music, saying at the time that he wanted to make peace with his past and calling himself, quote, an old fox looking homeward when it's about to die. Yikes. Okay. Um, When he came (laughs) back, I believe he was 69. So like... Not a not a spring chicken, but like it's not like he's on his deathbed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So he was, of course, met at the airport by protesters that uh, and former employees demanding that he be punished. Punished that knew he was like coming back. And on he the didn't plane. get a Molotov cocktail to the face. I'm not in that, through the airport, just yeah. carrying it. Oh, this flame, nothing. It's fine. <laughs> Shortly after, Mr. Kim was indicted on multi-trillion won accounting fraud, illegal financing, diverting funds out of the country, embezzlement, and breach of trust. All the things. One year later, in 2006, he was found guilty of all of the charges, which amounted to 20 trillion won in accounting fraud, 9.8 trillion won worth of illegal financing, diverting 19 trillion won out of the country and embezzling $100 million. Well, then. (laughs) Prosecutors asked the court for a sentence of 15 years in prison and forfeiture of 23.4 trillion won, which which accounts uh, its equivalent of about $24.8 billion. Mm. Instead, the court... Gave him a slightly 
more lenient sentence of 10 years in prison, forfeiture of 21 trillion won, and a fine of 10 million won, which is about $10,600. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so the sentence later was reduced to eight and a half years in prison, um, following by being suspended due to health concerns. Because at this point, he's into his 70s. Mm. In 2007, South Korean President Ro Moon-hyun granted amnesty to Mr. Kim, along with 74 other people. This is pretty common, something they do on the new year. Mr. Kim largely lived the remainder of his life outside of the public eye uh, in Vietnam, where he was giving talks to entrepreneurs and holding workshops and stuff like that. (laughs) Defrauding 101. Um, He honestly, like, although he sort of like... (laughs) spearheaded this country that caused the largest bankruptcy in South Korean history. Mm-hmm. Like he is still regarded as one of South Korea's most influential business people. And like mm. his acumen and knowledge is still like revered. Sounds like South somebody Korea. else we know. Right. <laughs> Mr. Kim passed away at the age of 82 in Aju University Hospital due to pneumonia complications. This was just in, oh, I didn't include a year, but I believe it was 2018 or 2019. Like, it was pretty recently. So, to end this story, <laughs> I want to end this story with Kim Woo Chung's catchphrase. Oh, boy. I was. This was the part I was going to say in Korean and was like, no, I'm Let's not going to embarrass myself. But in English, it is, to the world, to the future! And beyond. Oh, wait, that's a <laughs> uh, So, yeah, so that's Mr. Mr. Kim Woo Chung and Daewoo. I feel like I've heard of Daewoo cars before. Maybe. I don't know. I feel like it's a movie reference. Probably. Anyway, um, before you decide to travel to South Korea or North Korea, really you any want to of try the your hand at that. Korean <laughs> Peninsula. Reverse smuggling. <laughs> yes. Uh, why don't you check out this podcast? Murder Road Trip is a true crime podcast where I, your host Haley, discuss murder cases in my car, aka the Mobile Beats Lab. Join me and my partner in crime, H.H. Gnomes, on the road. There will be games, mixtapes, and snacks as I make the research journey to murder scenes around the world. Make sure to check your back seat, and I'll see you at the next rest stop. Well, that has been our show, guys. Hope you enjoyed the trip. Oh, yeah. That was a really fun one. We have been doing a lot of, like, murder, murder, murder. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of nice to do some... I mean, you still had, like, some genocide, but... uh, Slight genocide of millions of people, but it's fine. Nice to, nice to switch it up a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, we do have an event coming up. Oh my gosh, we do. Do you want to tell us about that? If you missed us at Parapalooza and you're really upset with yourself and you want to beat yourself up, don't. Because we have another opportunity to be seen. We're going to be at the Elgin Fringe Festival. Ooh. And we have a date this time. Yay. <laughs> we Once again, we'll be at the Blue Box Cafe. And we will be performing on Saturday, September 10th at 430 you can get tickets and your button now. Because remember, you need a button and tickets to get yes, into. Yes. Um, I believe the button is still $3. It might be 4 I'll double check that. Um, but if you go on the Elgin Fringe Festival website, you can get all of that. Our tickets are now $7 plus your button. If you get a pass, that comes with the button and you get to go to all of the shows. If you just want to see us, you can just pay for that ticket. 
They will be selling tickets all the way up until the day of the event. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You can go on ElginFringeFestival.com. Their Facebook, their Instagram, all of them will take you to the, the Fringe sites where you can purchase your tickets and see all the other cool shows. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Are they going to be in their new location by then? I don't the think Sight so. Street Studio? Or no, is that next year? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> they just, so they're moving um, their locations um, and they took a huge venue uh and are turning it into the new side street and it's one street over but they just ripped out asbestos oh really okay uh-huh. yeah, no um no. so no Makes they sense. are definitely going through the slow yeah. process they're going to be doing a huge fundraiser which you'll be able to donate additional money if you want to participate in that to their new venue it's going to be triple the size of what yeah. side street is currently huge. so they'll be able to put on larger productions more theater more dance all that good stuff yeah um so fringe festivals in the future there will be a lot more opportunities to do acts and bigger things yeah so. yeah so yeah so you can check that out um i think that's all we got going on at the yeah, moment <laughs> um if you enjoyed this episode you can find more like this at badtastepodcast.com uh where we also have Links to our merch page and our Patreon if you want to support the show financially. We won't say no. <laughs> we will not. <laughs> um, what else? What else? If you want to find us on uh, Twitter at BT Pod. God, I haven't been on there in a while, so maybe don't find us on Twitter. Instagram or Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Instagram and Facebook is a little more active. Yeah. Um, I, I purposely stopped using Twitter for a while because I just, it's, it's, it's a, a lot. It's too much. It's a lot. The world is on fire. Yeah. And that is like ground zero. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think I think that's all that's we got. That's it. We podcasted. All right. Mm-hmm. Our sound and editing is by Tiff Fullman. Our music is by Jason Zakshevsky, the Enigma. <laughs> this has been the Bad Taste Crime Podcast. We will see you in two weeks. Goodbye. I Bye. wish I, I wish not, I knew I'm how to gonna, say goodbye in North Korean. I'm not going to dishonor the Korean language <laughs> in North in North Korean, not yeah. no, Korean. Korean. <laughs>